Welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Centralia, Washington. During each episode, you will hear the sermons, liturgy, discussions, and interviews from the various weekly gatherings here at Christ Covenant Church. If you would like to find out more, please visit us online at ChristCovenantCentralia.com. Please enjoy the following audio. So, just just warning up front, uh, this is admittedly technical, and uh, if you guys uh, saw the email I sent out about uh, the, the Truths from the Text video podcast that uh, Ryan and I are going to be doing together, uh, one of the reasons is there's so much more that I would love to do during this time with you guys and answer questions and explain many, I have many things to, I would like to say to you, uh, but just time does not suffice to do that. So uh, I have really an expert theologian who is going to be assisting me, who can uh, really, um, every week I'm going to be, uh, Lord willing, churning one of those videos out. So if you have like a specific question that comes from the sermon, comes from this lesson, or comes from those uh, video audio recordings, uh, email me, let me know. Um, the whole point of doing that is it's for you guys. Like it's just, it's for Christ Covenant Church. So please um, give me as much feedback, what's helpful, what's not um, in there. All right. Uh, I think it was a month ago when we met Last, I do not remember, but it, I remember it being colder back then, so I'm now uh, it, it's much warmer in here, so praise God. Let me just review what we talked about in Lesson 4, and then we'll get into Lesson 5. So last time, we're, we're exploring how the tabernacle and the temple are what I called uh, humaniform structures, and this is where, looking at some of the images in here, you can, you're, you're looking at a building, and I'm saying there's something... Uh, humaniform about it. So it, it has kind of human features or characteristics, and I was giving you a few examples of that. So we said, um, this is obscured in our English Bibles, but if you look at it in, in Hebrew, it refers to like the face of the temple. Um, if, if you were to keep reading in 1 Kings chapter 6 especially, so, so this is describing the construction of Solomon's temple, you'll see that um, again, this is obscured in English, but there, uh, there are shoulders to the temple. The temple also has ribs. So uh, this same Hebrew word for rib, tzalah, this is the same word that when God builds uh, Eve, and that's the word in uh, Hebrew, it says he actually builds her. So it's this uh, you know, construction term. He builds the woman from the rib in Genesis 2. And then you get to 1 Kings 6, and it's that same idea talking about the temple having ribs, shoulders, a face. And uh, you know, depending on how imaginative you want to get, uh, other people have identified you know, there's eyes, there's ears, there's a nose, there's a mouth, there are kind of all the characteristics of a human being, um, people have noted, some more explicitly, some less so, um, in the temple. Uh, we said one of the other ways this is uh, kind of made clear to us is that just the very proportions of the temple 
are given in human body part terms. So we have, you know, we'll say that's 100 feet. So we still have this for us who maintain um, the non-metric system. Uh, a cubit is from your elbow to the end of your middle finger. And then other uh, dimensions are given according to like a span of a hand. So this is just common um, Hebrew language for how God says, I want you to build it uh, that many elbow to, ar- to finger lengths. I want you to build that to hand breadth lengths. So that you, you kind of get that this is a human scaled structure that God commands to be built. Uh, you could basically argue, I think, that everything that man creates uh, is inherently humaniform in some sense uh, because we cannot help but make things after our own image. So it, it's really remarkable if you're like a hunter and can recognize tracks in the ground, it's pretty easy to see this is a human being that has been here, right? Only a human would do this. And that's because there's kind of a intelligence behind anything that we actually design or create, which you just can't hide or fake. As much as artificial intelligence tries to mimic that, um, a human cannot help but make something in their own image, and then there's a spectrum of which that image or likeness is reflected in the thing you fashion. So like, we can create people, or at least you know, women can. Uh, <laughs> that's begetting an actual, exact you know, human being, a likeness of you. But have you ever looked at cars and wondered like, hey, you know, a car has a grill. It kind of has ears, you know, it's little head, uh, uh, the, the mirrors on the edge. There's certain kind of uh, proportions to it that could be like feet or legs or arms or something. So this is just how it is, uh, whether you're building a computer or furniture or a house. Um, houses especially are kind of little microcosms of the body. So you, you know, rip open the wall and there's all kinds of electrical and uh, plumbing. There's all sorts of things that just like you, you got water uh, you know, running through your body, you got blood pumping, you've got actually electrical, um, I don't know what they would be called, someone, yeah, ner- yeah, nerves. So there's all sorts of systems in the human body. Uh, some of these ancient people didn't know as well, but you kind of have it mimicked in our buildings. So uh, there's an outer skin, you want to waterproof it, there's a certain aspect of you that's, that's waterproof, right? So that's, that's what I mean by a humaniform structure, that God has uh, commanded the tabernacle and temple be built in certain proportions with certain features that uh, we could call humaniform. And this is just meditating on what the New Testament says very explicitly, that man and Christ are temples and tabernacles. So we know that uh, uh, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we are a tabernacle, and we're just kind of meditating on that. So that's what we mean by humaniform structures. I'll pause there if there's just any questions. That's all review from, from last time. Any questions? Okay. All right. Let's get into the, the hard stuff. Tonight we're going to begin to, um, to study God's special presence in you. So does anyone remember the three ways in which God can be said to be present? 
Charles, give it to us. Great. So what we, we have God's common presence, which you probably know as omnipresence, or just the fact that God is everywhere. We spent a few weeks on that. Uh, we have not talked about hypostatic presence, but you can go listen to my Christmas Eve sermon if you want to learn about that. I'm not going to cover that here. And tonight, now we're going to hit that presence we haven't talked about, which is... Uh, pretty hard to do. So we're going to talk about God's presence in you. What does it mean that God indwells you? So let me start by giving you just the Bible verses that make you to say that God is in you. Uh, Here, there's many of these. I'll give you just a handful. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Romans 8, 10, and 11 says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And then Colossians 1, 27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we all kind of know that, and once you have an eye for it, you'll see that this is actually like all over the place, especially in the New Testament, that there's some kind of God in you, you and God were together, and yet we want to understand like, but what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? That's, that's this whole lesson, and we're going to spend this week and next week uh, trying to answer this, and I'm actually not going to probably be able to give you the answer tonight. I'm going to proceed by way of process of elimination. So this is a little theological exercise for us to tell you all the ways in which it is not true that God is in you. So we call this the way of negation. So we're going to say, not this, not this, not this, not this, not this, not this, not this. So you can kind of whittle it down so that when you read your Bible next and open it, you have uh, kind of some... um, uh, fences on your mind so you know it can't be any of these things, and you're rock solid so you can know it must be this, okay? So that's where we're going. Uh, this is going to be a, um, a deeply metaphysical lesson and that we're talking about something that almost nobody reflects on, but we all use in common speech all the time. Namely, you use that, uh, I don't know if it's a conjunction or a preposition, in, So you just use this word in all the time, and we're going to try to understand what what does in mean. That's all we're doing tonight. Okay, let me set it up this way. Um, Aristotle, he identified eight different senses in which one thing can be said to be in another. He does this in his book, book The Physics, uh, book four, chapter three. Uh, Other philosophers have since made additions to this list, And perhaps you could even add to that list uh, just ways in which people can say that something is in another thing. So we'll we'll start with Aristotle because he's pretty good at covering a lot of the common ways. And then we can see if there's others that you think of that can come up. So um, I think I have, let me see, eight, uh, eight of these. 
So I've got eight different modes of being in another. We, are you tracking so far? Frank, are you tracking so far? Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start with the easiest way of one thing being in another, and that is as a body is in place. As a body is in place. This is, the example is you are in the pew, you are not at home on the couch, you know, unless you're watching this on the live stream or something. So you're a body and you're in a place and therefore you're not in another place, right? So this is what every, this is the most proper and strict way of talking about one thing being in another. You are a body and you're in a place. Are we good? Are we good there? Okay, so here's, my, here's now the question. Is God in us like a body is in place? So, all the, so think about those passages I just read. God says, I'm going to make my home in you. Christ says, I'm going to indwell you. The Holy Spirit's in you. And now we're trying to ask, okay, what does that mean? The analogy is, is it like a body is in place? Can God be in you like your body is in place? Ava's shaking her head. Anyone, anyone want to say yes? Okay, good. You, you passed. Can anyone, does anyone want to try to explain why that is false? Why that could not be, Ava? Well, last week, I think maybe a couple weeks ago, you said that it would be heretical to say that God is in every place. Like, he's here and here and here and here, like as in he's a, a body. Okay. But, so he couldn't just be dwelling in us like an actual person. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So, is God a body? No. Does God have a body? No. What does John 4 say? What does Jesus say? God is a spirit. What did we learn in the catechism? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. If you can memorize Westminster uh, Catechism question four, it'll help you answer all of these questions I'm going to ask you tonight. Okay, so... God cannot be in you like a body is in place. And if you really think about, there's other reasons why that could not be. So for one, God is immaterial. God is infinite. You're finite. You know, you'd explode if, if, if that were, there are certain things that are just impossible because God is infinite. We are finite. However, this is the primary, I think probably primary, metaphor that God uses to explain how he actually is present. So God is metaphorically in you like a body is in space, but it's understanding what the metaphor is. And the reason why we know is because what does he give us in the temple and the tabernacle? It's a cloud, you know, a body of air, a body of light that comes and physically rests in a physical space and not in other places, okay? At the same time, listen to what Solomon says when this happens in 1 Kings 8, 27. He's praying to God at the uh, consecration of the temple, and he says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built, So notice what Solomon is doing when he's praying. He's like, God, you're here, but obviously we know 
that it's not like you're here, like a body is in place, because the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. You're infinite. You're so far beyond, but you've chosen to put this little cloud here as a sign that you are with us. Okay? It's kind of like the sacraments. Why does God tell us to eat physical bread and physical wine? Uh, because that's how he's going to feed us. And yet we know that it's not like we're having the actual physical body and blood of Christ. Right? We, at least we as Protestants don't believe that. We say we eat it in our soul. We eat with, with our soul. Okay, so God is not in us like a body is in place for myriad reasons. And that's like the first, what we call negation, that you need to make when you're reading your Bible and you, you think God is in me, but he's not in me like a body is in place because God does not have a body. He's infinite. He's, he's eternal, all those things. Okay, we, you still tracking? We good? Okay, let's move up to the next four modes, or uh, mode number two. And these, these next four are kind of pairs together. You'll, you'll see how this works. So another way that one thing can be in another is as a part is in the whole or as the whole is in the part. As the part is in the whole or as the whole is in the part. The example would be like a finger is in the hand or like the hand is in the finger. So you wouldn't actually have a whole hand if you didn't have any fingers, and your, your fingers are in your hand, and your hand is in your fingers, okay? So uh, this is a common way that people will speak, but uh, perhaps unconsciously. So the question is, is God in you like a finger is in a hand? God is the finger, we are the hand. So without God, we are not a hand. We are not ourselves. Uh, is that true or is that false? That's false. So someone explained to us why it is false that God is in us like a finger is in a hand or like a part is in the whole. Maya. We're not a part of God. He doesn't rely on us. Okay. Bingo. Exactly. So if you didn't hear, because we're not a part of God. God is not a part of us. And what heresy would that be if you believe that? Pantheism or monism, all, all is God. We are God. We are the one. We need to be united with the one. Okay, this is, we are all a part of God, or we have this God consciousness, and God is a part of us. And yeah, what, you're, what, are, you, what are you doing? You're making God a creature. It's like, don't, don't do that. So again, that is false. And then likewise, if he can't be a part in the whole, he also can't be the whole in the part. All right, so that covers our next two modes. Yeah. So obviously the Holy Spirit is God and he's indwelling. So how does that kind of work in what you're saying? That is what we are working ourselves up to. We're yeah, we're trying to understand that very thing by first saying all the things it can't be. So the Holy Spirit is not a finger and you are the hand that he completes. So that's, what, that's all we've done so far. And we also said he's not a body that's in you like a body is in place. Any other questions at this stage? All right. We'll see if you guys can get this one. This one's a little more difficult. Uh, one thing can be said to be in another like a species 
is in a genus. And then conversely, like a genus is in a species. Now let me give you an example so you can grab onto this. So the species, man, is in the genus, animal. So the genus is the bigger category, and then there's a specific difference that creates the species within the genus. Okay, so let me give you a a few more examples of this. So an animal, the genus, is just something that has a sensitive nature. It can uh, see, taste, touch, smell, hear. They have some level of sensation. And uh, we call this the sensitive soul. So man has, you have five senses, which places you in the genus animal. So if you've got five senses, you know, you're in the genus animal. And then we could say, what kind of animal are you? Well, you're the kind of animal that has a rational soul. So you have, uh, in biblical terms, you have the image of God. So you have your five senses, which makes you an animal in, in the strict technical sense. And then we add rational, which specifies what kind of animal you are, which means there's also irrational animals like your dog or like a chicken, right? Plants, for example, they're not animals at all. They don't even have, they don't, you know, plants do not have feelings, okay? They do not smell, taste, touch, or any of those things. Um, so they're, they're not even in that category. Man, he, he's got uh, these animal sensation powers plus reason. So that's, you get the genus and the species. Genus is animal. Species is the rationality that makes you man. So now the question becomes, is God in you like a genus is in a species or like a species is in a genus? I see some heads shaking. No, good, good. Can anyone explain why? That's the, that's the harder part. Why is it not possible? Daniel. Because God is infinite. Sorry, what was that? Because God is infinite, that's still a Okay, so the answer was, God is infinite, and to put him in a genus or a species would limit him. That's exactly right. So, uh, there is no genus, divinity, under which God goes into. God just is his divinity. So God is above and beyond any category. There is no big category outside of God. God just is, right? So hopefully this is starting to stretch your mind a little bit. Um, And then, of course, he can't be a species inside of a genus. I'll give you just a Bible verse since I know this is very abstract, but Isaiah 46 verse 5 says, This is God speaking. To whom will you liken me and make me equal or compare me that we should be alike? Right. So many other verses like this. There is no equal. God is not in any category with anyone else. Um, The devil, angels, the gods, they're they're way far down the line. Okay. Any I'll pause there. Any other questions on that? Genus, species, God's not in either of those. And he can't be in you in that way. Because again, it would make you God, right? You're not a species of divinity, right? All right, we're doing, we're doing pretty good here. All right, number six. 
one thing can be said to be in another like form is in matter. Form is in matter. So the example would be the soul is the immaterial form of the body, which is the matter or the material. So is God in us like a soul is in the body? God is the form. We are the matter. No. And why not? What error would we end up with if if we did say that was true? If God was in us like a soul is in a body. Charles? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so again, it would limit him. Maya? Wouldn't that also limit us to just a form rather than? Because like he's the spirit in our form. So you're saying it would delete all the part of us except our material so we wouldn't actually be us. We'd have like, it would just God would overtake us and we would all be puppets or something. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That, that would, of course, would delete our soul if God's soul replaces us like a soul is in the body. But when, we, when you get into like form, matter, genus, species, I mean, this stuff gets pretty difficult pretty fast. But you guys are catching how, at least it's not, it can't be true in any of these ways, right? So, uh, you know, God is not even in Christ as form is in matter because finite matter cannot contain the infinite divinity, which is why when we do hypostatic union, when we do that presence, we say the Son of God joined to himself a human, uh, joined to his uh, divine person a human nature, okay? All right, uh, well, this will probably be the one we have to end on because uh, I expect the kids will be back in a minute. So number seven is as an accident is in substance. So is God in you like an accident is in substance? What is an accident and what is substance? So an accident is not a car accident. It's not something that is unintentional. It is something that only has being when it's attached or in a substance. What is a substance? A substance is a, is a being that is um, the principle of self-identity that exists throughout any kind of change. So think about you from when you were born to who you are now. You're still you, but you have undergone many changes such that perhaps none of the material parts of you are the same. (laughs) Um, You know, our skin is constantly shedding and stuff. So and yet, we're, we know we're even going to lose this body, and yet still there's going to be a us. So that's, that's the substance that makes you, you. And then there are many accidents, and these are the things that really account for the different changes in you. So if I say uh, Socrates is white, Socrates is the substance, whiteness is the accident, so it's not essential to Socrates to be white because, you know, he goes and sits in the sun and gets tan. Now he's not white. Now he's red. And yet it's still Socrates. Okay? So um, there are, so one of the great achievements of Aristotle uh, that has really lasted and is just in the English language today is he, uh, he wrote a book called The Categories or The Predicaments where he tried to adequately reduce 
the entire created order into its most basic principles. And so there are 10 categories in in this book. The first one is substance. So it's this thing that stays constant. So in mathematical terms, it's the common denominator. And then he gives nine accidents that are only existing when they are connected in the substance. And you guys all know this actually, but even though you've never heard it, because this is just how you talk. So what are those nine accidents? They are quantity, quality, relation, place, time, posture, having, action, and passion. Like we could do a whole lesson just on the, the nine accidents and substance, but uh, are you guys grasping what a substance is and what an accident is? So, you know, the color of your hair is accidental to you as much as you feel very much your sense of self based on, uh, you know, the color of your hair or, or lack thereof, depending on who you are, right? So an accident can come and go, the substance remains. So the question is, is God in us like an accident is in a substance, No, 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 and why? Connor. Yeah. So it would make God dependent on us. So this is where, like, God only exists if I make him to exist, if I want him to exist. Some people actually think, like, think this way, right? Some people live this way. All right, since the kids aren't in here, let's see if we can knock out our last one. Is God in us as an agent is in its patient? I expect none of you understood what that means. So let me explain it another way. Um, is God in us as the efficient cause of what is in its effects? As an efficient cause is in its effects. You guys are still probably not understanding that. Let me give you the example. Like Tolkien is in Middle Earth. Tolkien is the agent. Agent in technical in technical terms, is just the one acting. Patient is just the one being acted upon. So you have the author or the agent, Tolkien, and then what does he create or act upon? It's Middle Earth, his, his fictional world. And we said that God actually is in us as the one who gives us our being. However, we said that's common presence, remember? Not special presence. Hi. How did it go? Good. All right. Can you go sit right there in the front seat? Okay. Okay. All right. I will have all of these notes posted on the website, and you can listen to this as many times as you need to, and come with your questions two weeks from now. So. When, when we meet next is when I'll give you the actual answer, I promise. Um, but I'm just giving you all the wrong answers tonight. Um, any questions before we, we close? Frank, was that, was that crystal clear or what? <laughs> clear, as, clear as mud. All right. What, um, here's my homework for you guys, and y- your kids can help you with this. But just try to think and catch any time you use that word in and see if you can understand what you're actually meaning or intending by it.
because there's many other ways in which something can be in another that you use all the time. Sometimes you're like, hey, let's put the food in the microwave. That'd be like putting a body in place. Okay, so you're going to do that a lot. But there are many other ways that things can be in another. And I'm going to give you one right now, a bonus one, because we're about to do it, is um, like voices combine and interpenetrate and indwell one another when we sing. So here's, here's, we're starting to get closer to how God is in us, because you can't see sound, at least I can't. Maybe there's some animal that can see sound, but. So it's, it's, there's a diversity of voices, a diversity of chords, of keys that could be played together, and those make one chord, or all these voices that come together, harmonize, and make one sound. That's a kind of in-ness that we participate in that God uh, gave us and commanded us to do as part of this, this reflection. 